Yeah, no, so I was sitting down by the by the river in Glasgow on Saturday, thinking, God, this is Glasgow in September. Don't remember this. <laughs> <coughs> Thank God, global warming. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's good for Scotland. It's Friday, September the 16th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Dariff, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Disaster Tourist, and I'm joined as ever by Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Westminster Abbey Tour Guide. Yeah, uh, Gordon, good uh, good at your back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the you abandoned things. me last week. I'm afraid I did, yes, uh, but uh, as a mark of respect for Her Majesty, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought it was only, only prudent to uh, cancel the podcast. Oh. No, I, I happened to be uh, f- flying to Scotland uh, last weekend, and uh, rather bizarrely, um, uh, I, I, ha- I managed to arrive in Scotland on the one on the one day after seventy years that uh, the, the Queen's reign came to an end. So, yeah, um, I, did I, you, I must did say, you get I was taken in for questioning, I was, no, or? I, was, I was nowhere near Balmoral at the time. That's ah, all okay. I got to say. Do you, do you have an alibi? <laughs> I do. Yes. Okay. Good. I have someone who can vouch for me. Uh, great. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, kind of int- kind of funny that the first thing Liz Truss did as prime minister was killing off the queen. <laughs> yes, announced the death of the queen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure if she. No, I, I wonder if the queen died because she shook the hands of Liz Truss, or that she died <laughs> after she uh, she had seen uh, power being transferred from Boris Johnson to someone else. I yeah. think uh, for for both scenarios, uh, uh, there are arguments to give. I think. Yes, indeed, and I think Boris Johnson must have been absolutely livid that he didn't get to be the person who gave uh, you know, a, a great loquacious speech um, mourning the death of the queen, and uh, that the, yeah. that that was Liz Truss managed to steal his thunder. Uh, on that uh, on that note, um, but it was very strange to, to be watching. So I arrived in Glasgow and then um, switched on the television as you do in the afternoon. And of course, uh, the BBC was already starting to um, uh, announce the news that the, that the Queen was very sick. That at this point, she'd be, it was just that she'd been told to rest by her doctors. But of course, all the presenters were wearing black ties. Um, yeah. And then I think uh, the sign language interpreter came on, just dressed, covered head to toe in black. And at that point, I think you realised <laughs> like it was a bit more serious <laughs> than they were letting on. But, uh, in a burqa, or was it a little less uh, No, actually, less to be black. fair, no, it was, it was, uh, I should say okay. neck, to, to, neck to ankle, but yeah. But dressed entirely in black, and suddenly you realise that, uh, yeah, that, that someone had been uh, um, tipped a wink that, um, uh, that yeah, something momentous was, was about to happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It turns out that all the BBC presenters have uh, something black uh, at hand for the occasion that uh, something like this happens. Oh, you uh, would the, yeah, absolutely. The, I mean, I had a colleague yeah. when I worked at a press a news agency, the Press Association, where he covered a lot of on-the-spot news, and he always carried a black tie in his bag, to, in, oh, wow. in case he suddenly had to be called out to a funeral. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. 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 Uh, it, the, the the Brits do take it uh, very seriously. The the, the 
a, a royal death, uh, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, but great PR for for Scotland, I think. Uh, uh, everyone thinks the, the the weather in Scotland is very nice now. Uh, now that the Queen, uh, 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 now that we've seen so much images from Scotland. Yeah, I'm uh, worried about this. The this is going to encourage even more people to go to Scotland and go up mountains in their t-shirts and sandals um, with disastrous <laughs> consequences. So I'm, I'm slightly concerned that uh, that we yeah. laid on such good weather for people. This uh, week, but it did look lovely. It did look very pretty on the television as, as the Queen's um, uh, cortege was um, was was snaking through the um, through the Scottish hills. Yeah, it looked really nice. Yeah, yeah. And, and Edinburgh as well uh, looked looked very pretty. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a lovely looking place, um, especially on a on a bright day. Um, and it, yeah, it, 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 yeah, and it, it's kind of a good setting for the whole lying in, lying in state thing, I think, with the, the with those kind of big grey buildings, and um, yeah, it has a real sense of kind of gravitas and history and ceremony. But uh, so, yes, yeah, so speaking of history, uh, you've been um, uh, enlightening us uh, in your um, typical way about uh, some of the um, uh, yes le- less known details of uh, the place where the Queen currently is, which is Westminster Abbey, and uh, the kind of whole. Uh, the 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 sort of bits and pieces of the building on Twitter, which I think I've been you mean enjoying. Yeah, I think you mean Westminster Hall. Do I mean West? I probably do mean Westminster Hall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Westminster Abbey is uh, is uh, the uh, yes, yeah, so Westminster Abbey is where she will uh, yeah, end up. Uh, also not no. no? Okay, <laughs> she will go to uh, St George's Chapel in Windsor, ah. uh, but she's now currently in Westminster Hall, which is part of the uh, Houses of Parliament in uh, uh, in London. And what I uh, didn't know is that um, the Netherlands, uh, or actually The Hague and London, was in a sort of arms race against each other uh-huh. uh, with with uh, medieval halls. Because uh, Westminster Hall was built by King William II, uh, and at that time it was the largest medieval hall in, in, the, in, in the whole of Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, uh, the William II, the Count of Holland, visited England on multiple occasions and probably also visited Westminster Hall. And when he came back and he inherited uh, the, his title, he wanted to build something grand that could uh, challenge uh, Westminster Hall in, in, in London. So he built uh, the Riddersaal, the right. Knights Hall, uh, okay. in, in, in the, at the Binnenhof. Um, and uh, the interesting thing about the Riddersaal is not that it's larger, but the uh, the span, it's a single span um, uh, uh, room, and that one was larger than Westminster Halls. So uh, in that regard, he had surpassed um, uh, King William II's uh, okay. architectural masterpiece. But then, uh, 50 years after the Riddersaal was completed, they changed, uh, the, the they replaced the roof of Westminster Hall and made it also in a single span uh, roof. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and uh, because before that it was uh, it had some internal columns uh, it was it was it was actually three spans so mm. uh, after that uh, Westminster Hall became the largest single span hall right. in Europe yeah. so yeah yeah so, 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 all, so, so all these building projects Westminster Hall and the Riddersaal were all kind of one big act of European royal cock swinging basically yeah yeah. Ex- <laughs> yeah that's basically it yeah yeah so um, good to know. I find very f- funny to uh, to to find that out uh, yeah. as I was uh, 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 as I was strolling through uh, the Wikipedia rabbit holes uh, called uh, the Westminster Hall. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, you do, I presume you you were you're looking up all this stuff um, while you were watching people queuing, which is what everyone seems to have been doing this week. 
I mean, five miles of queues. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Only in Britain. Yeah, right? so, so, this somebody, just... somebody on uh, Twitter said uh, that this uh, this is kind of what all British people's lives have been building up to the whole time. It's kind of like the boss <laughs> level of queuing, right? You've been, you know, it really is. They've been, they've been rehearsing for, for this. Queen. So, so no one should be yeah. surprised that the Brits are now queuing for, what is it, 10 hours in in the dark, in the rain. Oh, you know, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's and, just as natural to us as breathing, really. And the sort of the accumulation of this all was that there was also a queue of journalists who were queuing for the first person in the queue to interview them. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was uh, yeah, yeah, fascinating. And the date of the funeral wasn't uh, wasn't announced mm. yet last week, so there was some fear that it would coincide with uh, Pinsdag, so on Tuesday. Ah. Uh, and yeah, people were wondering what would happen well, what there. The what will he choose? Yeah. Uh, yeah, what the king was going to do, but yeah, the, the, the Prinsjesdag is constitutionally set in yeah. stone, so yeah, you can't postpone it or anything. So It would be a bit unfortunate if the king had had to send his cat to the funeral, though. <laughs> <laughs> the, the interesting thing is, um, the BBC reported that every state's uh, man or every head of state uh, is only allowed to bring one person yeah. with him. Um, uh, either the head of government or his or his or her spouse, but Willem Alexander is going with Queen Maxima and Princess Beatrix, yeah. so they managed to to get an extra yeah. plus one. They managed to sneak an extra ticket. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it probably has to do either their royalty, but also they know each other for exactly, so long. Exactly. Yeah. Of the European royals, they're probably one of the closest to to the Windsors. Yeah, even though they are not close with anyone, I think yeah. <laughs> any of the uh, uh, foreign royals. But yeah, with the Dutch, they they apparently they are, and also Beatrix also has the Order of the Garter, I think. Ah. So maybe maybe that's also a reason why they could snuck yeah. in an invitation. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like sort of trying to get tickets for the cup final. You know, you sort of go through the... <laughs> yeah. You, you sort of go, go around all yeah. the people you know who work for football clubs and sort of try and try and catch a couple of spare tickets from somebody. Yeah, refresh uh, <laughs> ticket swap all the time. Yeah, I wonder yeah, if they're yeah. like online at sort of five past midnight trying to hit a button to get to get extra tickets for the. For the I'm sure they did, <laughs> and also they they were asked not to bring uh, private oh, jets, yeah. right, to Britain. So maybe they go by train or by boat. I or mean, maybe Willem <laughs> uh, uh, will fly a KLM plane instead. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, yeah, but the House of Orange prefers uh, the boat to go to uh, to uh, to the United right, Kingdom. Okay. That's what they did in May 1940. Yes, it did, yeah. <laughs> and in, uh, when, when was it, 1666? Uh, 1688. 1688, yeah. yeah. Um, only only three more days, uh, Gordon, then, uh, <laughs> yeah. then we can uh, go back to normal. Then, then we can go back to normal life and news. Yeah, and then people in the UK are going to be, be startled to, to find out what's been happening in Ukraine because they've got no idea because, uh, you know, it's, uh, there's been no other news in Britain. It, no, yeah, no. Uh, uh, it's only the Queen, right? Yeah. 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 Luckily for us, in the Netherlands, there has been other news, including a speech yeah. by the uh, Justice Minister, which uh, has become uh, rapidly uh, unravelled into our OPEF of the week. So, uh, yeah, take it away, Paul. Yeah, this week's uh, OPEF comes from Amsterdam. Justice Minister Dylan Yesilgus uh, managed to get both ends of the political spectrum uh, mad at her, which is always uh, a, a, an accomplishment. Um, Dylan Yesilgus was invited to give the annual uh, Haye Show reading uh, that's organized by Elsevier magazine, and uh, they call it the unofficial opening of the new parliamentary year. Yeah, it's kind of the uh, Johan Krauskal of politics, isn't it? It's like a, you have to explain this to me. Johan Krauskal <laughs> is the... Um, is little friendly match that the uh that's always played by two of the top Eurodivisie teams the the league champions ah. and the cup winners uh, but before the season kicks off 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. yeah. It's uh, sort of a yeah unofficial, official thing before yeah. the real uh, the real uh, uh, thing uh, starts. Indeed, yeah, because the parliamentary year is officially opened with the speech from the throne on Tuesday. So uh, yeah, this is the unofficial opening. Yeah. At least that's what Elsevier likes to call it. I'm not sure if that's entirely true. Um, it is one of the few occasions, though, that politicians can outline their long-term vision in a little more time than the four minutes they usually get in interviews or in talk shows. Uh, politicians who gave the speech previously are Thierry Baudet, who wasn't a politician at the time, uh, but also Mark Rutte, Sibrand Buma, and also Sigrid Kaag last year. Um, there was also some, a lot of ophef about that. And b- yeah, that's basically becoming part of the tradition, right? The speech uh, sparks ophef. Yep. Uh, um, yeah, that's basically yeah the, the only function of it. And this year, uh, yeah, it was no exception because the justice minister warned in his speech against small developments that corrode and undermine democracy and also the rule of law. She first named extreme-right politicians such as Thierry Baudet and Wibren van Haga, who deliberately spread untrue or misleading information and systematically feed mistrust and anti-government sentiments. She called them onwelriekende reuzel, mm-hmm. which I don't know how to uh, translate. Yeah, reuzel it's a great is sort phrase, of the left. It? Yeah, it's sort of. Um, it is, yeah. Yeah, uh, p- pungent. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know where to start. Yeah, f- foul smelling. Uh, yeah, what's uh, Something that smells bad. Yeah, exactly. But Reusel is is sort of the leftover. If you if you if you uh, 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 fry bacon, for example, that's what Reusel is. I think. Right. But I'm not so entirely like, sure. Like, gr- like gristle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the two MPs uh, demanded an apology from Yisilgus and they asked Tweede uh, Kamerchair Vera Bergkamp to re- reprimand her for her polarizing comments, as they said it. The Justice Minister wasn't done, though. She also called wokeism a danger for democracy, and that sparked outrage at the other end of the political spectrum. She said tolerance is the basis for democracy and that the oversensitivity of extreme wokeism was leading to self-censorship. And that in turn muffles the oxygen of open debate. So a good Ophef score for Yasilgus, uh, but as is always the case with Ophef, uh, by noon the next day, I think everyone had forgotten about it and moved on and we were talking about something else. Yeah, but like I say, it, it did, uh, she did manage to uh, upset and offend literally almost everybody at the extremes of the political spectrum, which uh, yeah. you'd always thought she, she might have been a columnist in a former life or something. It was, it was, it was <laughs> so well... Um, <laughs> It was so well directed, so well targeted. Yeah, I was watching this speech and I was thinking, <laughs> this is so boring. Uh, yeah. uh, I wonder how anyone can make Ophef about this, but boy, how I was, how I was wrong. How <laughs> wrong you were. Yeah, yeah because the, the, the internet really exploded about it. It was basically to do with, uh, I think the, 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 the main reason of the, of the Ophef was because the Volkskrant had a headline call, uh, saying uh, Yesilgos calls wokeism a danger for democracy or something like yeah. that. So, yeah, that wasn't actually what she said, of course, but um, it was a little bit more nuanced. But, yeah, as uh, nobody is watching this speech, right? I was looking at it on YouTube. It was live-streamed on YouTube and 50 yeah. people were watching. So, yeah, nobody was watching it. That's they the only thing, yeah. Yeah. rely on what, what the media is saying about it. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, 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 and, uh, and the other side of the pol- political spectrum... 
had a different headline, of course, uh, yeah. uh, speaking about uh, uh, Van Haga and, uh, and Baudet. So yeah, everyone was mad, uh, not because they had actually watched or read or listened to the speech, but uh, because of what other people were saying about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the whole thing just kind of snowballed on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it was kind of fun to see um, Van Haga and Baudet um, uh, b- b- being so kind of true. You know, who are usually the people who who are, who are the first to deride and call out wokeism uh, being extremely triggered by uh, this phrase that she used. By the used. speech, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this week, as winter approaches, we tell you what the government's planning to do about rocketing gas bills. The train strikes end just in time for the boss of Schiphol to catch a ride out of the airport after a chaotic summer. Everyone's favourite mask millionaire has a hot mick moment and there's a hero's welcome for a Frisian football legend. The government is planning to launch a special fund to help people who are unable to pay their soaring energy bills. The plan is part of a wider package of measures meant to tackle the cost of living crisis and was set to be announced on Prinsjesdag next Tuesday but was leaked to NOS earlier this week. The plan would allow the government to take over direct payments to energy firms if people are threatened with being cut off. It is estimated that as many as 1 million of the 8 million households in the Netherlands could face problems with paying their bills as gas prices continue to rise. Only people who had to sign a new energy contract this year or who have a contract with variable costs can make use of the fund. According to NOS, the aim is to help low-income families but also to make sure energy firms won't go bust if a large number of people are unable to pay their bills. But to be honest, if you read about what their uh, profits are in the in the past months, I don't think they have any... Um, uh, they're not in danger of, no. uh, of going bankrupt yeah, at all. I think they're going to be able to pay their own bills, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. It is feared that the fund could be open to abuse, but ministers believe speed is more important, even though I seriously doubt they do. Uh, um, and they're also uh, looking into building in extra checks uh, for this fund. Yeah, they believe speed's so important so much that it's taken sort of two months to get to this point, hasn't it? Even though we've been, you know, the, the, the gas bills or the gas prices, the market gas prices started going up at the start of July. Yeah, and, and also... Like, um, can we think of any precedent in the last couple of years for the government just sort of seeing a disaster <laughs> impending and doing absolutely nothing about it until the last minute? I have absolutely <laughs> no idea. <laughs> And in the meantime, RTL News reported that the government is, after all, looking into a cap for gas prices. Opposition parties had asked for a gas price cap for months, but had always received a firm no from the cabinet. Unnamed sources told RTL News that if the cap is introduced, it will take a very long time before it can be implemented. So don't get your hopes up. Yeah, yeah. It probably has to go through uh, the Belastingdienst and uh, various other organisations who apparently can't do anything until the start of January. But, I mean, there is help underway from the European Union for people who are struggling to pay their bills, right? That's right. The European Social Fund has allocated 413 million euros to the Netherlands to support low-income people and counteract rising poverty. 270 million of that will go to municipalities and other organizations to help people find uh, jobs or retrain for other functions. And 16 million is reserved for food and other essential support. Uh, for example, school books. Um, we are helping employers fill vacancies, ensuring that there is enough food for people who are struggling and helping children who are growing up in poverty, Minister Carola Schouten said in a statement. And she also added that it is the first time the Dutch government will use EU money to ensure people have enough to eat. Right. 
So, uh, yeah, and uh, uh, as if things uh, weren't uh, bad enough, uh, there's also going to be a quite steep rise in health insurance, uh, we we learned this week. That's right. Uh, The Telegraph reported on Thursday that uh, the basic health insurance policy is set to cost over 10 euros a month more next year. That's uh, due to pay rises and other increases. Uh, Currently, a basic policy costs around 127 euros per month with a 385 euros own risk element. Uh, In the Netherlands, having a basic health insurance is compulsory. Uh, The government decides the makeup of the basic health care insurance policy, but insurers are free to compete on price. Um, people are free to decide whether they take insurance for additional health care outside the basic package. Health insurers have to publish their premiums for the following year by November 12th, after which there is a six-week changeover period, uh, and in that time people can change to another healthcare insur- healthcare insurer if they want. And that's also a time when you will be bombarded with advertisements. Yeah, that's, all, that's not entirely bad news, because then you can burn all the leaflets that come through your letterbox and save on your <laughs> gas bill. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> Who needs gas if yeah. you have insurance companies? Yeah, for printing lots of pa- waste paper. After three weeks of intermittent train strikes, unions and rail bosses have struck a pay deal worth 9.25% over 18 months. The 16,700 employees of NS will all get a rise of at least 5%, backdated to July, plus a €1,000 bonus in December, and then next year they get another €1,000 bonus and an extra 3.45%, and low-paid workers will get a bigger increase because there's a minimum wage rise of €185 a month. So, uh, a pretty good deal, but of course uh, it is mainly to counter the effect of uh, absolutely rampant inflation at the moment, So, and a lot of these uh, pay rises, I guess, will be swallowed up by people's gas bills. There will also be improvements to pensions, more leave for exceptional circumstances such as bereavement and staff won't have to be on call 24-7 outside of working hours. Uh, So um, presumably, I think, the unions are very pleased with this result, aren't they? Yeah, they they, they seem to be pretty happy, although the deal does still have to be endorsed by members of the three trade unions who are negotiating this. Uh, But spokesman Henry Janssen of the FNV said uh, he thought they couldn't have got any more out of the talks. He said there were tough negotiations and the NS had to come a long way, which is quite difficult to do when none of the trains are running. But nevertheless, (laughs) they managed. (laughs) They managed, yeah. So that's it, no more strikes. Uh, All the trains can run again. Yeah, all the trains can run, but uh, now we're going to have a bus driver's strike, uh, which is uh, this Friday. (laughs) There's uh, been a series of regional bus driver's strikes. This uh, is all to do with uh, another uh, dispute over pay, which goes back to May. The FNFA union have rejected a pay deal by the bus companies, uh, but the CNFA union has accepted the terms. So um, yeah, a bit of a mm. split, but the FNFA is holding out for a bigger wage rise and more permanent contracts for its members. So about 13,000 bus drivers around the country. Uh, not all are going on strikes, I say, because it's only the FNFA members, but it's obviously going to cause big disruption to the timetable. We don't know if our favourite bus driver um, is uh, joining <laughs> the picket lines for Taven, but given he's a former FFA Day politician, that would be a bit strange. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think he is uh, part of the union, yeah. No, unlikely. Uh, But if he does, you can be sure he'll keep all his bonnetes. Enormous 20-hour-long queues have formed at Schiphol Airport by people who want to pay their last respect to Dick Benschop. After what feels like seven decades of tireless service filled with boat trips, foreign trips and gala evenings, the airport's chief of the chief executive officer's reign has finally come to an end. A life of service. 
Penschop will lie in state in Terminal 4 on a platform made of missing suitcases. Um, on a serious note though, Schiphol Airport CEO has announced his resignation on Thursday following months of chaos at the airport. In a goodbye video, Penschop said he is leaving at his own initiative because he doesn't want uh, the attention on himself to become a liability for Schiphol. No, to be fair, they've got He'll- enough liabilities already, so they don't need him as well. <laughs> That's right. He also added that the airport will come with even more restrictions in the near future. The airport plans to reduce the number of travelers by 18% in October. So uh, yeah, brace yourself if you are uh, trying to fly um, uh, through Schiphol to uh, anywhere in the world. Mm. Benschop has come under fire in previous months for his inability to tackle Schiphol's problems, such as hours-long queues for security, chaos at the baggage handling, and everything else. The airport scrapped hundreds of flights during the summer after airlines didn't respond to a request to cancel flights themselves. And during the summer, Ophef emerged after it was revealed that Benschop spent much of his time abroad, at gala dinners, uh, and on holiday instead of in the boardroom fixing the chaos. Uh, he will stay on, though, until a replacement has been found. And there are rumors that um, Alexander Pechtold will replace ah, him. Yeah, The former D66 leader. Yes. Who is but, currently uh, uh, head of the uh, driving agency, right? The driving yeah. license agency. Yeah, yeah and that, that organization is running as smooth as possible. Yeah. No problems at all there. So, yeah, he will be a, an excellent replacement for Dick Benschop. Well, I was very sarcastic, sarcastic yes. here. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. But can he be any worse? I'm sure he'll try his best. I wonder if he will get a penthouse in, uh, in <laughs> the... Say, in yes, the, he might be gifted a penthouse somewhere. To... In the traffic tower, yeah. yeah. Winter is coming. Gas and electricity prices are going through the roof, so we at Dutch News are keen to help out with our top tips for cutting your energy usage. Use one pan for cooking, turn your thermostat down half a degree, and above all, invest in a good quality pair of thermal socks. That'll save you a couple of euros, which you can put towards sponsoring the Dutch News podcast on Patreon, which only costs one euro or a dollar a month, and in return you get a shout-out on the next episode, the chance to ask us a question, and access to our bonus summer episode, where we enlighten you on some of the bloodiest and juiciest pages of Dutch history so far. Seriously, we are extremely grateful to all our patrons, uh, who are the reason we're able to keep bringing you these uh, weekly digests of news, sport and opef in the Netherlands. Uh, So a big thank you to you as ever um, for all your contributions. If you want to join our winter huddle of sponsors, log on to www.patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash dutchnewsnl Time now for the latest episode in everyone's favourite political saga. I'm referring, of course, to the martyrdom of Sievert van Linden, <laughs> a humble civil servant and CDR party activist from Amsterdam who was dealt a cruel hand by fate. The selfless Sievert wanted nothing more than to help his country through the coronavirus pandemic by buying masks from China through his non-profit organisation Stichting Hulptruppen Alliantie. But the minions at the health ministry put a spanner in the works. They insisted, in Sievert's words, they set up a private company to handle a 100 million euro contract, and they twisted his arm so hard that 9 million euros fell into his pocket. <laughs> his two friends, Bernd Dammer and Camille von Gestel, trousered 5 million each. A fourth partner, Saskia von Herkevoort, deserted the trio in their hour of need, muttering some crazy stuff about maybe we should give some of this money back to the health service. Sievert tried to save the officials' blushes by telling everyone that he was still running a not-for-profit operation while secretly pocketing 9 million euros, but instead of thanking him, they launched a criminal investigation into fraud and whitewashing, and he ended up being demonised in the media as some kind of shameless grifter rather than the saviour of his country. 
It's enough to make you scream. The trio try to console themselves by buying a couple of uh, small consolation trinkets like high-performance cars, some fine art, and antiques, but they haven't even been able to enjoy those because the heartless authorities have frozen their assets and their Swiss bank accounts. To add insult to injury, the health service didn't even use most of the 40 million masks that Siebert and his friends selflessly procured for the nation. This is fantastic, Gordon. <laughs> what a good job! But you, 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 you managed to 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 use the same tone as the BBC commentators uh, talk about the Queen's life. You, yeah. you did very well. Uh, well, as we said, oh. I think Siva has suffered almost as much as uh, as the Queen for his uh, for his wealth. <laughs> you could say in, in a shorter yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, uh, I think l- local broadcasters should uh, definitely consider uh, taking you on as a, as a voiceover. Yeah, right. So that was so that was yeah a brief summary of what happened uh, with Siewert van Linde, of course. The uh, the uh, yeah the the the. the, the political commentator turned uh, rogue um, uh, uh, entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, what did we learn this week? So this week, uh, the Volkskrant got hold of some recordings of uh, Zoom calls between Sievert and his partners, because of course everything moved to Zoom during the pandemic, uh, including the meetings uh, that uh, uh, Sievert and um, uh, his three friends uh, held to decide how they're going to divide up this 100 million euro contract that they were completely unqualified to, to, to get, but to, to, to broker, but that they got anyway. Um, and unfortunately, it was all recorded on Zoom, and now those recordings have uh, ended up in the hands of a newspaper. Sievert said he wanted to set up a not-for-profit company, but if the government didn't want that, then he said the only alternative, the only alternative was for the four of them, in his words, to get screamingly rich. He even (laughs) said he was planning to write a book called How the Government Forced Me to Become a Millionaire. Uh, Van Lieden had been dismissed. That sounds, from... that sounds like something Donald Trump would write. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so you, you could actually find. Yeah, it, it may even be worse than uh, Donald Trump's books somehow. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that, that this is already a chapter in the art of the deal. Yeah, probably. Yeah, uh, Van Lieden had been dismissed from the board, the government's own agency set up to buy face masks, because they found him untrustworthy for some reason. Uh, <laughs> so the miscarriages of justice just keep piling up. Yeah, so Van Lieden was hurt by that, um, and he told his companions, the government had given us a big middle finger, I'm not doing this voluntarily for any money. Uh, when he was asked about Which this... Which I found was the most interesting phrase of, 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 of that, these yeah, entire... Yeah, really interesting, yes. Yeah, so not doing it voluntarily yeah. for any money, that's uh, sort of, uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, quite a... It's a real brain twister, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but he managed to make it uh, this uh, some Mobius strip of uh, finance um, come true. Uh, when, he, when the false count asked him about the recordings, uh, Sievert said uh, the comments he made in the meeting were occasionally embarrassing. Um, he said uh, his emotions got the better of him because earlier in the day he had a conversation with a health ministry official and he said, quote, some of the transcriptions of the conversation are very unfortunate and don't match my intentions of the time or myself as a person. That's a very, very creative <laughs> apology. It reminds me of that sketch of... Um, Little Britain, this politician who gets into trouble all the time, right, yeah. who, 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 who uh, steps out of his house to give an apology or some sort of explanation yeah. or statement to, to, the, to, the, to the press that has gathered in front of his front door. Yeah. It, this could be one of the phrases this person uh, uh, could utter, I think. Yeah, 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 exactly. 
Um, but there's also good news for Siri because the long-awaited report into the whole affair is being published this week, right? Yes, finally. Uh, today, Friday, this uh, very long-awaited report uh, by Deloitte, which has been held up several times, uh, partly to give Siebert and his friends more time to come up with uh, a creative excuse. Uh, Do you also know what the other reason was? Uh, I've forgotten. One of the investigators lost his notebook in a train. Ah, right. Yeah. So, yeah, and yeah, that on, delayed... On, on, on the few days this summer when the trains were running. <laughs> no, it was last summer, to be oh, honest. But uh, yeah, and eventually it was found, I think. It was retrieved at some point. But yeah, it did delay the entire thing uh, 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 for months. And also because there are millions and millions and millions of documents. To be fair, they're not only uh, analyzing or investigating this particular deal, but the entire uh, dealings of of the of the health ministry but just to uh think of how many documents uh, ministry produces like yeah. that it's uh, unbelievable incredible yeah uh, so yes this report was originally due before the summer recess it's already cost 4.7 million euros uh, or half a sievert <laughs> but uh, van leenen has says he's confident it will exonerate him and we will find out uh, later today if his faith is uh, well placed Perhaps we should do an emergency uh, episode uh, later today. We could, yeah, we, yeah. We could uh, do. I, mean, do, do, do. I think it might, might might have to be some kind of lying in state for the Deloitte report uh, <laughs> until next week's podcast. The amount of money owed to the government by Dutch students have doubled to 25.7 billion euros in the six years since student grants were abolished. These figures come from National Statistics Agency CBS. The average student now owes almost 16,000 euros, and that's a rise of uh, almost 3,500 euros on 2015. For students who have recently graduated, the average debt is over 20,000. A total number of 1.6 million students have loans to pay back. And the number of students owing more than 30,000 has also more than doubled to 300,000 since grants were scrapped. And 100,000 students owe more than 50,000 euros, the CBS said. Quite a, quite a lot of money. Yeah. Um, the government has agreed to bring back some form of student grants from the 2023 academic year uh, that was agreed in the coalition agreement. Uh, prior to the abolition of grants, students who lived away from home were given 260 euros a month towards their upkeep and college fees. Right. But there is some uh, consolation for students, right? Because uh, the government's just announced that they are going to increase the, the, the basic student grant. Yes, um, we already said it, right? Prinsjedag is coming up, budget day, and that means that uh, uh, the government is looking closely at spending power of, uh, of groups of people, and that also includes uh, students, uh, apparently, for once. Uh, the student grant, which was set at 165 euros a month, will be increased to 280. Uh, that's an inflation uh, reparation. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so uh, students can be happy, I think, with this increase. And also other toeslagen, other benefits will also... Uh, increase even though it won't be as high as inflation but with uh, 10 percent and that's um, uh, because of the m uh, minimum wage that has been uh, increased with that percentage as well right yeah some relief then for uh, for students i guess some students as well will have uh, very high living costs because um, some of the old some of the older student houses aren't kind of properly insulated and uh, you know the cost of um, heating them is going to be pretty high this uh, winter yeah definitely and also um, a lot of students weren't uh, eligible for the 800 or two times 800 uh, uh, extra energy benefits um, that has been sent to low-income families yeah. and low-income households uh, but yeah, students weren't uh, eligible for some reason so yeah they they miss on that as yeah. well 
Finally to sports news, Ajax lost to a late goal in their second Champions League outing of the season against Liverpool at Anfield in England. Mohamed Kudis's well-struck equaliser midway through the first half looked to be good for a point, but after Remco Pasfier had performed heroics in Ajax's goal, Joel Matip popped up two minutes from time with a header. Ajax coach Alfred Schroeder conceded Liverpool were the better side, but his team had equipped themselves well. However, it does mean the next match at home to Napoli next month will be absolutely crucial as the Italians beat Liverpool 4-1 in the opening round. In the uh, Europa League final, battered Sturm Graz 6-0, while in the Conference League, Azat Alkmaar made heavy weather of their game against uh, FC Vaduz of Liechtenstein. But eventually, eventually, after three late goals in the last ten minutes, they prevailed 4-1. PSV's <laughs> game against Arsenal in London was postponed until October the 20th as a mark of respect to Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, but wasn't there also Ajax-Liverpool? Liverpool-Ajax, you talked about yeah, did, that, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, but that one wasn't postponed. No, it wasn't, no. I think the, the Arsenal game, because it was actually in London, I think there's also issues mm. with because I mean, Rangers' uh, match. Um, in the Champions League was delayed by a day uh, because um, there, aren't, there weren't enough police on duty because they were all in Edim- Edinburgh while wow. uh, oh, the, the Queen was yeah. uh, lying in um, lying in state in the St Giles's Cathedral so I guess they had the same problem in London they didn't, there wasn't enough uh, police officers and of course you don't want football fans particularly Dutch football fans um, some mixing <laughs> with the people in the queue uh, who were standing very solemnly waiting to pay their last respects to the Queen <laughs> exactly, yeah, 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 and uh, especially if you have some nice fountains in your city, yeah. <laughs> then uh, yeah, you can't leave them with, uh, even though to be fair, those were fine with uh, supporters. Yeah. They did, now I come to think of this, at this Liverpool-Ajax game, they they did, out of respect of the Queen, didn't play the Champions League anthem, yeah. uh, which is ironic because it is based on... Zadok the priest, the coronation anthem yes. <laughs> played at the uh, yeah coronation of, of Elizabeth. So that was kind of ironic, I yeah. thought. But yeah. yeah. And Rangers were told they couldn't play uh, the national anthem because of the UEFA rules, but they went ahead and played it anyway. But, but, ah. they, but they haven't been fined, apparently. Um, but that wasn't the big football news of the week. There was something much bigger, no, something right? something much, much bigger indeed, yeah. No, much the, more the real uh, uh, football news this week uh, came in the district court in Herefein, uh, where SC Herefein's mascot, Hero, imaginatively named <laughs> with double E he was suspended by the club earlier this year after falling out with the board uh, Hendrik Pasfier uh, who's been wearing the giant foam costume for the last 22 years wasn't happy with his boss's lax approach to the coronavirus restrictions during lockdown he complained that people mm. weren't sticking to the rules and uh, people were being let into the stadium without valid QR codes the board said uh, he'd been threatening staff and created an unworkable situation, but Pasfier claimed he was a victim of bullying by the club's executives. And there is a recording of a meeting with Pasfier, who also worked as the club's in-house decorator, where the chairman could be heard telling him to <laughs> shut your mouth and get painting. So, uh, yeah, it was obviously all quite acrimonious. Anyway, he took the club to court uh, to uh, be reinstated. Uh, the judge ordered the club uh, duly to do so. So he will now once again uh, don the oversized football shirt, curly blonde wig and horned helmet, <laughs> which is not the most outrageous costume people will be wearing in Friesland this winter. But uh, the good news is that he didn't have to block a motorway with his forklift truck to get the result he wanted in court. So it can be done. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I heard about this this rift between the mascot and 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 the team, but I wasn't aware that it was about the coronavirus yeah. restrictions. Uh, so that that gives an extra dimension, yeah. I think, uh, of, of entertaining dimension. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, should we quickly mention Max Verstappen? Uh... Sure, yeah. We have a short episode now, so we have the yeah, time. Yeah, good. Okay, yeah. So Max Verstappen won the Monza Grand Prix. He's just basically winning every race this season. It's getting quite boring. Um, yeah. this one, he's now closing in on uh, the record held by Michael Schumacher and Sebastian Vettel of uh, 13 Grand Prix wins in a season. He's won 11 so far out of, is it 15 races? No, 16. 16 races, yeah. yeah. So there's another well, seven to go. Seven to go, yeah. Uh, it has to be said that this season is, of course, uh, the longest ever, I think, in the time of uh, Schumacher. Yeah. Uh, they only had 12 or 13 races, but, but still, it's an impressive uh, record if he manages to break yeah. it. Indeed. But yeah, as you say, it's uh, it's uh, getting kind of boring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Max Verstappen just wins everything. If you doesn't matter where he starts, if he starts from the front or the back of somewhere halfway, um, he, he manages yeah, to win. Yeah, that's the other thing, so, isn't it? Right, because for this race he started was it seventh? He had a penalty or something. So uh, at least he did actually have to overtake a few cars. Yeah. And also, um, there was another Dutch driver who started uh, in Monza, Nick oh, yes. de Vries. He uh, replaced, uh, I think it was Latifi. Yeah, it was Latifi for the Williams. Mm. And that's the only driver, I think, who now has driven for three teams. Yeah, even though he isn't officially a, a F1 driver yeah. yet. Uh, but he managed to win two points I think because he finished ninth yeah. uh, which is more than Latifi had in, in uh, what is it 15 previous races right. so yeah that's kind of uh, kind of embarrassing for, for, for Latifi yeah. I think was it not Latifi as well who had the crash um, in the last race of yeah. last season that uh, that basically yeah. gave Verstappen the opportunity to win the title yeah without Latifi Max Verstappen wouldn't have won the world championship last year so did they kind of give his seat to a Dutch driver as a kind of gesture of thanks I think he was ill yeah, or something so, yeah. no he had yeah. a burst appendix I believe, oh, okay. yeah, oh, something dear. like that. that doesn't sound good at all. Or something with the appendix. It didn't burst because then you yes, die, exactly, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was some, there was some uh, some uh, troubles with this yeah. appendix, yeah. So yeah, that's a, g- a good job uh, for Nick de Vries. Uh, he is the Mercedes spare driver. He has also driven for Aston Martin and now for Williams. So yeah, I, I think we can uh, we will uh, we will see him uh, in the future in in Formula One, perhaps next season because Alpine has a seat left over. Right. Um, so perhaps he can go there. So his fourth team, even though yeah. <laughs> he's never you know an official uh, uh, driver. So yeah, that's uh, that's also an accomplishment. I yeah, think pretty good. Probably yeah. also so a record. Perhaps two Dutch drivers at Dunford next year. Yeah. yeah. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes, and you can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout-out on the next podcast. My thanks to Paul Peters, I'm Gordon Darroch, and we will be back next week. With a longer episode. Royal funerals notwithstanding. (laughs) 